Now, I wanted to come floor level, but are some of you toward the back going to have a difficult time seeing me if I do that? I don't want you having to have healing for your neck, so we don't have time for all of that. Do I, if I need to get up there, I will. Now, tell me what I need to do. Up there? Okay. Women can't decide anything. How many of you are for up there? How many of you are for down here? How many of you really don't care? If you are somewhere you cannot see, there are... Move your chair. Move it up here to the front. I spit on the front row, but they're never the same when I'm done. So I have been, I have been known to spit on the front row, okay? <clears throat> I, uh, I am delighted to be with you. Thank you for your receptivity to me, and it's just my joy to be with you. And uh, what I want to do for just a moment, uh, first of all, I want to tell you that you can have the anointing of God and forget your clothes. So I forgot most of my clothes, so we never teach in jeans, and I'm just rebelling today. So um, I told him I think women change clothes too many times at these things. It was the last thing I said to my husband before I left. I said, you know what I hate? Having to pack all this stuff. These women think they got to change for every session. It's silly. And I brought all my tops and none of my bottoms, except for the jeans that I wore on the airplane and, and the uh, skirt, thank God, that I had this morning. So that's why I just told them I was going to teach in jeans, but I'm free in jeans because I can walk and do whatever. Okay, let me, I want to give away four CDs. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to fight over this. Okay. Um, we sell our CDs for $3. We, we just want to put them in people's hands, literally. We're not trying to make a ton of money on them. And uh, we use this not for my salary. Uh, we use strictly honorariums for that. So, uh, but we use it. One of the things we do are help pastors. We have a heartbeat for pastors and spouses. And so um, this is one of the main things our ministry does. And so uh, this is just an added blessing. But I said I would not sell them where women could not afford them. That was one thing. I would not do. So they're $3. The other thing is, I give you the right to dupl duplicate anything we have without my permission. You have my permission right now. It is copyrighted by the Holy Spirit, so you just feel free. If you want, if you want to buy one, or, or two of you want to buy it and copy for the other, have at it, baby girl, because we're never going to run you down and charge you, okay? All right, this message is unclaimed blessings, and this is an interactive prayer meeting I led at my home church, and I taught a little bit about how sometimes we have blessings at God's hands we do not claim. Then we also recorded at the end a prayer uh, thing we went through with the folks in our church, and that is on there, and I believe that you can pray with this, and I suggest that if you get this CD, you do exactly that. We take categories of prayer, and we literally are praying in our congregation that night for a variety of things. I wish I could remember what they are. I don't know, but there are a variety of things, because we did prayer meetings quite frequently where we led them like that, and I just don't know what was on this one. Unclaimed blessings. Who wants it? You got it, girl. You were first, all right? All right, if you'll pass that down to her. Pass that back to her. Thank you. Okay, uh, this message is a heartbeat for me right here because um, you heard a little bit of my story this morning, and I'm just going to tell you this is just what I experienced. I'm not saying everyone does this, and I'm not making accusations against the entire church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I had always heard I needed to forgive my father, for instance. But here's the way people would say it. You need to forgive you got that in your heart. You just need to forgive. But they never showed me how. 
No practical steps. Well, if you can remember it, you haven't forgiven it. Well, only if you've had too much sweet and low. You know what I mean? And so uh, God gave me a very practical message because not only from what I came from, but as we went through ministry issues in the church, and I just got madder and madder and madder with life because I had not been taught how to forgive. I think this is one of the most beneficial words God has ever given me because it deals with... (laughs) A lot of unforgiveness in the body, isn't there? All right. Um, Gee, this is hard. Um, Gee, this is hard. This is hard. You've been really good to me, okay? So I'm sorry. I wish I had enough for everybody. Uh, Chasing donkeys is the story of God finding me and bringing me to where you see now. And it's really where Samuel uh, is out on command by God. Saul's chasing donkeys. He doesn't find him. He thinks he's spinning his wheel. This is stupid. I'm chasing these dumb donkeys and nothing's happening. And God is setting up divine appointments that he'll come up with Samuel and meet him for the next step of his life. And all along the way for me, God just set up divine appointments. I'd say, nothing's happening in my life. And I'd find myself in some stupid spot, I thought. And God would divinely put people in my life to take me to the next place I had to go. Chasing donkeys. There's a young girl back there. I'm going to let that chick have that. Here you go, darling. They didn't set you up for that, did they? They make you do that? And then this CD here is called Bent Out of Shape. It's the story of the bent over woman in scripture, but it's not I take the story and I go over to another passage of scripture and there are just a lot of people in God's house that he is freed, but they don't know how to walk free. And see, I think that that's a tragedy, tragedy, because when God sets us free, you have to learn to walk free. See, there's a big difference, because I believe people get set free at altars who never learn how to walk free. And so a lot of this message will, is just a, a kind of general message of just saying, we got to learn how to walk free of the harm people have done us, for instance. Uh, when that woman was bent over, by the time the church service was over, some of the people in the church were basically saying, bend her back. Lord, how dare you show up at church today and heal this woman? It's the Sabbath. There will always be people who want you bent back. The question is, will you walk out straight and say no? Okay, girlfriend in the back, you've been waving. I didn't know if you were saying hi, but I guess you want the CD. You've been waving for a long Somebody pass that back to there to her to save me some time, if you will. Now, don't keep it. Give it to that chick. Anyway, we invite you to the table, copy anything you would like to copy, and uh, may it just be a blessing to you, all right? Now, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. Uh, I'm go- yes, ma'am. Can I ask a question? Sure. Yes. It's back there for $3. There's quite a few of them. I bring almost more of those than anything because it's a big issue in the body, and I think some of it is failure on the church to teach it in a way that we can see it. And uh, some of it is just a lot of stuff happens because some of God's people are so mean, you could slap them, and he would say, amen, all right. So, uh, you know, we just have to learn how to deal with some of that because I wish I could tell you everybody in the body is sweet, but it just ain't so, you know. And uh, what I want to do this afternoon is I'm going to keep a a tight watch on my time. I want you to help me. This is is my little assistant that blows the saxophone here. She just helps me a lot. 
We used to live side by side. Now we're uh, 400 miles apart, but once in a while we get to meet up like this, and I just miss her. She just does so many things for me. Her name is Amy Rath. She has a CD deck there that will bless your socks off to sit in God's presence with. It's a great, great CD. And what else did you tell me to say about it? I can't remember what... (laughs) So, all right, here's what I want to (laughs) do. Here's what I want to do. I have about a quarter of four... I want to teach till about 4.30 max, and then I want to have ministry time, and I'm not someone who claims to be a healer or can, you know, bind everything up and cast it out of you. I've been known to bind people up and cast them out, so, you know, <laughs> but I'm doing, be- I'm doing better these days. I'm doing better, and so, uh, but what I want to do is I don't want us to come to a conference about the harvest without realizing that there is miraculous power in God. Now, you understand we have to walk righteous, and I believe that, but I think a lot of people are no longer believing that God can walk into my situation in a miraculous way, and that's what I want to teach about this afternoon, that as believers, there should be an expectation that from time to time, I know some people say every day, and I know it's a miracle to get up every day, and I'm, I'm at that snapdragon age, it's snapping and dragging, but I get up anyway, but um I think we should expect God to show up in our hopelessness. And this is kind of where I want to go with you this afternoon. And I've walked there a lot. It's been quite a journey for me. But uh, I'm here to tell you that I stand as a testimony of the grace of God today. And I stand here as a testimony that there is nothing that God cannot bring you through. He can heal your mind. He can heal your spirit. He can heal your body. And you're just looking at a woman who believes that and that I'm just a real girl. If you haven't noticed, I'll be so real with you because I think we just need real today. All right. And I could stand up here and say, say, hallelujah, you know, but we just wouldn't get anywhere. I know how to do it with the best of them. All right. But I want to bring us just down where we live. That's where I live. And I want to meet you where you live. Is that good? All right. Now, how many of you had a snorer in your room last night? Uh Uh-huh. You tired today, aren't you? All right. All right. I think that they ought to sign up that snorers and snorees will not be in the same room, don't you? All right. Now, punch the girl next to you and say, come on, I know you can last 45 minutes. Come on. Okay, are we ready? The Bible says, she who endures till the end shall be saved. So you just try to endure till the end. We're going to look at um, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, if you'll turn there. I'm going to read a little bit from Hebrews 4 if you want to join me there. People ask me what version I'm reading from, and I have no idea. I'm at that age where letters need to be this big. And so I have mine printed out, and I forgot on some of them to put what version. So, sorry, I don't know what version I used this morning, and I don't know now because I just did not put it on this one. Okay, Luke 7, Hebrews 4. We ready? I'm going to first read from Hebrews 4, beginning with verse 14. That is why we have a great high priest who has gone to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us cling to him and never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same temptations we do, 
yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 7, 7 11. And now it happened the day after that Jesus went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd also. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. I hate it when people read that like Jesus was mad at her, because that is not what the Bible... Stop here crying and have faith. I just don't hear God talk that way. If people have told you he talks that way... Sometimes it's nice in the gift of the Spirit to just say, shut up. <laughs> Not, don't try that at home, though, okay? And a large crowd from the city was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear come upon, came upon all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited or helped his people. Now, Father, right now, as we open your word, I ask you would open our hearts and our understanding. Now, Lord, all of us could take a nap today, so we didn't come just because we said, well, I guess we have to go to another meeting. We came because we desperately need your touch, Lord. I am asking you for miracles to flow in this room. I'm asking you for hope to flow in this room. I'm asking you for the touch of God, not the touch of a woman, Lord, but the touch of God. And I ask you that women will not only be made free, but in many cases will be able to walk free. God, I ask for divine intervention in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. This message this afternoon is for all of those whose hopes have been dashed in life. Where the disappointment and the disillusionment has come in and that you're in that season where it seems that so much has either been lost or there's been great disappointment and you're wondering, is God even real perhaps? Maybe you used to go to church, and maybe you're even still going through the motions of lifting your hands and praising him, but you feel numb inside because of what has happened to you in life, and maybe even life in the church. If that is you this afternoon, this message is especially for you. If you feel you are in an endless trial that will never come to an end, I just want you to know we stepped in today to say this message is for you. That God wants to meet us in that place where we are this afternoon. My goal is to bring you some hope, and especially if you're in a drought in your spiritual life. And I don't care who you are, me, you, anyone else, we go through droughts in our spiritual life where we hear nothing. I know a lot of people who God tells them whether to eat the green beans or the peas first, you know, or I literally, we had an associate pastor's wife one time that she would at home pray and ask God which room to vacuum first, you know, and, and God would tell her which one to vacuum, and God just has to tell me to vacuum, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
And so uh, I do not hear God's voice every moment of my life. I have gone through long periods where I had to walk it by faith when I'm wondering, am I ever going to hear from heaven again? Uh, It doesn't make you unspiritual. It makes you normal. You know that they're just silent times from God. I do not understand them, but I do believe they are there. Maybe you're here today and you say it's easier to squeeze water out of a rock than to even find prayer time, the words to come out of my mouth to speak to God. And I want to tell you that we're going to look at a story about a a woman in a town that no one heard of had Jesus not just visited that day. If you will, it was a no-name town, even though we knew it was named from reading the scripture. She is a no-name woman, and I think that is is important for us because she can be any woman in this room. The word doesn't say she was Ethel or she was Susie Q or she was whomever, you know. But the Bible just says that there was a woman there. Our Lord is notorious in Scripture for finding the woman. The woman that needs his touch. Read the Bible and see how God operates. It will encourage your soul. That our Lord would go out of his way to go to a well to find one woman that everybody else wanted to stay away from because he said, I'm about to step into her life. He went into a temple one day with a bent over woman and he could have found every well woman that day, but he went and looked for that woman. If you're that woman in this room today... I'm here to tell you that I believe he's going to step into this room today. He is not looking for that perfect woman who has a six-hour prayer day every day, who sings all the songs right and has never made a mistake. He's looking for that woman that says, I desperately need you to touch me. And so as we look at this story, I want to use my imagination. Now, it's my sermon. I can do it any way I want to. So I'm going to use my imagination. And what I want you to do is I want you for a a moment to just let your mind go on a journey with me. I want you to imagine that there is a woman living in a, a city, a town. That town is Nain. I want you to imagine that she lives in a time where if a woman did not bear children, she was looked down upon. It was a time, and especially if she didn't have any, but if she did not have a male child, that people would have said, she's nothing and she's nobody. And so, if you will, there would be self-esteem issues involved for her. And this woman is in that town, and, and her husband also desperately would like a child. And I can imagine that they have cried out and cried out and cried out and wanted to see something birthed in that area. And year after year, it is as if nothing would ever come. And then we know at some point she finds out she's pregnant. Oh, the joy that comes in there when you know that you have been through that season and it is like something is finally coming forth. And this begins to come forth in her life. I can see her when boyfriend comes home. You're not going to believe this, I'm pregnant. Oh, get out of here, you are not. Yes, I'm pregnant. And I can see them celebrating with joy because in the times in which they lived, this would have been a big issue. And so as she watched her stomach begin to grow, I think her hope began to grow and her joy began to grow and her fulfillment began to grow. Her self-esteem began to grow. And she would watch that. In modern times, we would say it like this, she began to fix that nursery. Now, she didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, but you know in her time she wanted it to be a boy. 
She began to fix that nursery up and she began to think of all the little clothes she was going to put on him and whether she'd wrap him in white swaddling clothes or blue swaddling clothes or green swaddling clothes. Not a lot of choices in those days. And, and so I think she just began to dream about that. And then one day her water breaks and she says, honey, the baby's about to come. And joy began to come into that house. And I'm sure they brought someone in to help her with the birthing process. And then as that baby plops out and they said, it's a baby boy. And there was a cry that went out in that room that says, life is beginning new in this place today. Oh, they were so excited. And, and as the father went all into town telling everyone about it and this joyous thing that had come into their lives, it became their very life. This is what they had dreamed for. This is what they had hoped for. They were so excited. And so as the little boy grew, and she, can't you just picture as she began to play games and dad would take him out in the field and they were just so proud. He became their whole world as they revolved around him. Now, I don't know what that's like for a long time because I'm 55 and I'm just here to testify, thank God I have not had a child in a long time. I'm just very happy about that. Uh, I have three grown sons and they are 29, 31, and 33. There's life after children and I just say, emptiness, give me a break, okay? And, uh, and so this child is growing up, but the joy that came in the home. But you see, I have a little granddaughter named Madison. She is the delight of my life. I had these three boys I had to put up with, all the ball games, all, and then Madison came along. And Madison is now two years and just over that. And I can just imagine the joy she felt with this child in that house. Because when Madison comes to see me, she lives all the way in Wisconsin. I told my son that was a sin to have a woman's only grandchild all the way up in Wisconsin, where they talk even funnier than they do up here, you know. And so um, I, I, I just get a thrill from Madison. She was at my house not long ago, and, and so her mommy put her down for a nap, and she doesn't know morning from afternoon, and so she woke up thinking it was morning after a nap, and she said, good morning, mommy, I could hear her, and she said, can I go see my granny? I said, of course you can go see your granny. I mean, that is a thrill of my life. I saw her last weekend as we were in uh, North Carolina and Tennessee, and they came down to visit us, and we had adjoining rooms, and and Madison went to bed, and her mommy said, you have to go to bed. I want to play with my granny. And I said, she wants to play with her granny. And so she puts her in the bed in the other room, and she closes the door about that much, and she says, Madison, sing yourself to sleep. And Madison began to sing the ABC song, A, B, C, D, F, G. She got to the end and said, now I've said my ABC. What do you think of me? I'm going to play with my granny. And we went in and got her to play with her granny. Now listen, there's no greater joy than having that baby that you love and that dear thing that you love. And this mother loves this child and he begins to grow and he would have learned his father's trade and gone out into the field with his father. And then we don't know the circumstances or the whys of it, but I'm sure they begin to dream of how he would do his father's work eventually, and he would take care of them. There was no social security, no old folks' homes, you know, the way we do it today. 
And then we do not know the circumstances. We do not know if, if it was a sudden thing or if it was something that happened over time, but the father dies. When the father dies, because it says she's a widow, and in the Greek that means that she's a widow. And so <laughs> if she's a widow, she doesn't have a husband. How many of you got that on your own? Okay, she doesn't, she doesn't have a husband. So her husband dies at some point. We do not know the whens. We do not know how old the boy is. And when she walks to that cemetery to bury that man, this would have been her thought process in the time in which she lived. She would have said, this is hard, but at least I have my son. Because my son will take care of me. My son will make a living for me. I may have to care for him for a while, but just in a little while, he'll be big enough. And at least I don't have to worry about that. My husband is gone, but my son will take care of me. Because that's what her son would have done. I'm sure as that boy walked away from that cemetery, that he walked away with the responsibility fully on his shoulders, having been trained, you will now take care of your mother. And so she at least has that to cling to. It is her hope for the future. She has that to cling to. And then again, we do not know all of the circumstances, but at some point, this boy becomes sick in some way or something happens. Let's just say he became sick, and, and let's say he goes and he lays down and he says, Mother, I am not feeling well. And she said, Well, just lay over here and, and, and I will let you rest. And she began to take care of him, and it seemed the more she nursed him, the worse he got. And as he got worse and worse, she could not even let her mind go there. She could not even let her spirit go there. Her husband is dead. This is her hope. She cannot even begin to think that the very hope of her life will actually die. And so she begins to cry out to Jehovah, I would think, and just say, please, please, I, I know you gave him to me, and I know you will be able to bring his life back, and, and I know you'll give him life. And then she holds him and holds him, and she watches the breath get more and more shallow, and then there's no breathing at all. The chest becomes still, and her hope dies. I see her beginning to weep. Oh God, I cannot bear this. At least there was hope here, and now there is no hope, there is no future, and now I've got to bury everything that I had held on to. And that woman's whole spirit is crushed. Everything in her is crushed. She has to bury him. And the way the funeral would have been, he was in what's called a beer, or a beer, and what they would do is they would lay him flat on that thing and cover a shroud, but they would leave his face showing. I'm sure as they picked him up to put him on that board that she said, just one more time can I touch him. Just one more time can I hold him. Because she was about to walk to bury all of the hope she ever had. Finally, they have to take him out of the house and, and they head toward the cemetery in Nain and the way the city was set up, she would have had to walk uphill because the cemetery had surrounded the city. It was the longest walk of her life. How could she make the next step as she began that uphill thing to go to bury the only hope she had? What a struggle it was for her. Now, that's where we are in this story this afternoon. We have a woman who is facing the loss of what seems like every single solitary thing in her life. 
It's the longest trip. She cannot believe she's in this position. But my girlfriends, I want to say to us this this afternoon. There are some of you sitting here and you say, my hope in this area has just died. I thought God was going to move this way or I thought surely he would do this. And I thought if I prayed and fasted forever, this is what would happen. I thought surely this ministry thing would open for me. I thought surely my child would be healed. I thought surely this and surely that. And as you held tightly to that, you saw it go until there was nothing left. Now, I don't care if you sit on God's pews. We all go through things. But that is the key, to go through things. There's not a speaker on this platform that does not go through things. Now, there are some of you that I believe God has sent me to simply say this this afternoon. Don't bury that thing just yet. Some of you are on the procession to the funeral already. Some of you are already thinking it's hopeless. God can never work in my circumstance. God can never do anything. And I'm just on divine assignment to say, don't you bury that thing just yet. Don't you be singing that dirge yet. Because it ain't over till God says it's over. And God is the one who determines when it's over. When you walk with God, everything around you might say, you're never going to make it beyond where you are now. Everything in you may say, this is going to be an impossibility. It's over, it's done. Baby girl, it ain't over till God's fat angel sings. Because I'm telling you, he's up in the portals of glory. He's finding that one woman, that second woman, that third woman in this room. He sent a little old southern girl who's a no-name. You never heard of my name that I came. Let's just get real here. To say to you that God is about to meet us at the gate. And Jesus comes on that scene, and this is one of the most sorrowful scenes in Scripture. But how convenient that Jesus should walk in precisely at that moment, doesn't he? And the Bible says he reaches the gate, and the funeral is coming by. And I believe Jesus is just going to meet some of us at the gate today. I am confident in my spirit as we have prayed this thing through that that is going to happen this afternoon. Jesus shows up and he looks at the woman and he has great compassion. Now there's all kinds of teaching out there and I'm just going to call it like I see it. There are all kinds of people that think if you don't have perfect faith, God is so mad at you. He is never going to do anything. I just watch people. This is some of the silliest teaching on the face of the earth. I wish they'd read the Bible. Read the book. Jesus shows up here and nobody even asks him to. Only Jesus' faith was operating here. And read the book when the, when the prayer meeting where they were praying for Peter to get out of jail and they ain't got no faith. They knock on the door. Hi, I'm Peter. You prayed me out of jail. Oh, you are not. Go back to jail. You're not the right guy. Listen, you don't have to have perfect faith for God to move in your situation. And I just want people to be free of that. I am so tired of this teaching. If you have any doubt, oh, just a little bit of doubt, God's up. I see a dot of doubt. Okay, angels do nothing in their life. Let me just say that in a French way. It's called baloney. Baloney, baloney, baloney. <laughs> Read the book. 
God knows your faith is not perfect. He knows my faith is not perfect. I have days when I don't have faith to get out of the bed sometimes, if you know what I mean. I have days when I'm saying, Lord, I don't know if I can take another step. And God is saying, you don't always have to operate in your faith. Sometimes it's his faith because you're the one he's looking for that will operate in your life. I just want you to be free on that issue because I am just tired of this teaching about the lead. Oh, a double-minded man will never receive anything from God. Read the book. The book, I just taught the whole book of James in my church where that comes from. Context, context, context. And the context is, if you're wanting God's wisdom on something, but you're going to do what you want from a worldly perspective, you're double-minded. You're wanting God to move, but you're wanting to live your life any way you can. That man will not receive anything from God. Now, how many of you just feel free now, all right? It is not this perfect faith thing that we see. God's about to move. Somebody, God's going to give you a miracle. Don't you doubt, don't you doubt, don't you doubt. Baloney, baloney, I have days of doubt. Is anybody in my house today? Now, here's the thing. But I have great faith in God. And sometimes his faith has to come when my faith is kind of at its wrong bottom level. And I want to free you in that. You may be in this room and say, you know what? I know what you're saying. I've heard it all before. Baby girl, I got enough faith in God and with him today to tell you, I understand where you are. God's the one you're, he's looking for you. You don't have to have perfect faith for him to show up today. And I'm expecting him to show up today. Now she's on the way to that procession and Jesus just walks into that thing. I love the way the Bible tells the story because he looks at that boy and he says, get up after he feels compassion for her. And then it says the pallbearers stood still. Well, wouldn't you if you were carrying a dead body? I mean, in scripture humors, they just stood still. And Jesus says, get up. And then he gives that woman her hope back. Now, that's why I'm here today. I want to give you some hope back. I want to give you hope back where your children are concerned. I want to give you hope back about broken relationships. Now, I'm not saying they're all work out like you want, but Jesus told me to declare to you, dude, that he is going to show up on the scene and bring some hope back to some people. Now, I just want you to look at your sister and slap her and say, girl, you look like you could use a little hope today. And we just want a little hope to move. Stop it. All right, now I want you to listen to me. God wants us to move to this level in this class today. I call it an even now level. And there's a CD that uh, CBU itself has that I did at another one of their conferences. It's where Mary and Martha said, why didn't you come? I'm going to get so real. Have you ever just thought that? I have. I'm going to help you today. God, I'm serving you. I'm doing everything else. But why didn't you come over here? Why didn't you come? They get plain mad at God. Am I coming into the right house today? See, because if we can acknowledge this, I think God can work in it. I've been aggravated with God sometimes. Love you, mean it. Anybody in my house today? Why didn't you come? Because here's the level they're at. If you had come back here, you could have done something, but you can't do anything now. Don't we? Oh, if you'd have just come back here, you could have done something. But it's impossible. You can't do anything today. And Jesus said, look, you don't understand. I'm going to move in the thing. Yeah, Lord, I know he's going to be resurrected. They believe he can do something down the line. He just can't do anything today. 
Let's terrorize the devil. I think he can do something today. I think he can move in here today. And it doesn't matter that back here he doesn't move. And yes, I believe he will move in the future. But I'm looking for some people that say, I want him to walk in here today. I want him to touch some things today. My faith is not perfect. My hope has been just absolutely shattered. I'm wondering where has God been in all this? Is he ever going to move in my situation? And I just came to say, we're going to restore a little hope today. And you don't have to be perfect sitting on that pew to do it with me. Now, here's what I want to do. If you will allow me, because I don't have too long, because I really want us to pray, because I think that's where God wants us to go. I want to tell you that I have been to a number of funeral processions in my life. I have just been in all kinds of things that I said, this is over. Hopeless. Now you heard me mention my father this morning. My father was one of the most hateful men that ever lived on this earth. He's just a hateful man. I'm being very descriptive to you. I have watched my father throw cherry bombs at my mother and let him blow up on her as she would stand outside. She's a very sweet and kind woman. I watched my father pull out a rifle and shoot at my sister when she had to run from him so she would not be a dead woman. I have watched my father beat my oldest sister to an absolute pulp. I have watched... Uh, and been a victim of the abuse of the sexual nature of the things he would do to his girls. I have watched him throw Coke bottles at his sons. I have watched him drink his money away. I have watched when he would lock us out in freezing cold weather because he'd be drunk and he'd stay in the warm house and put my mother out with eight children in cold weather. Now I'm telling you that to say I know what it is to walk in some places. And I know what it is to walk with a hateful man like that. And it's so form everything that you are. Now after I married my husband who's from Little House on the Prairie and um you know, he's kissy-poo, sweetie-sweet, and God connects him with me, and marriage is made in heaven, and so is thunder and lightning. And, and I'm, uh, listen, you ain't got nothing on me of what marriage adjustment is. Because you know what marriage is? It's a midnight phone call. You get a ring, and you wake up. <laughs> now, listen to me. I was fully awake within two days. Because I didn't know how to live life. I had lived in hell and I married Mr. Heaven. They kissed from one room to the next, literally. And I was not huggy or feely because I'd never been allowed to be huggy or feely. We'd never been hugged at our home. We cursed each other out. I could curse like a sailor at five years old. That was just the way I lived. You talking about having tongues that were evil. I could speak it, girlfriend. I could do it with the best of them at five years old. That's just the way we live. That's what I thought was. My boyfriend said, thought if you said the word hell, that you were going there immediately. I mean, he was just raised in that kind of environment because they didn't do that. Now, I married this sweetie pie, kind man, and, and I don't have time. Chasing donkeys will say, tell you some of the process of that. I think it's on there, or bent over, one of them. Uh, there are descriptions of those CDs back there, by the way, so you know what they're about. But anyway, um, my husband said, we need to pray for your father to get saved. Now, I'm just going to be real with you. Can I be real? Why would we want to live eternally with him? You know what I mean? You know, I mean, really, why would you want... Because I did not have a vision that God loves people who live that way and do those things. Uh, interesting question. For the first time ever in 35 years of marriage, I asked my husband the other day, 
what was the hardest thing for you to ever forgive in anybody? He said, what your father did to you was the hardest. And it shocked me because I'd never heard him say that. So I married a sweetie kissy poo poo. <laughs> and my husband said, we need to pray for your dad to get saved. I said, you are high, man. I mean, really, there, there is first, and then I said, okay, we'll pray. Now, I had no faith that God could save a hardened man that old and that horrible that he was. And so um, we were married a number of years, and we were at that time living in Dothan, Alabama, and uh, my husband was still in pastoral work, but he did another kind of job on the side to support his preaching habit at that time. Thank God he eventually became, you know, full-time in ministry. But he had to go to Columbia, South Carolina, He had to go to Columbia, South Carolina for something, and I could not go with him because I had a full-time job at that time. So he left to go to Columbia, and when he got there, I have a brother who lives there, and our family is all scattered everywhere because dysfunction has bred them. My father drove us away from him and from each other. And so uh, my husband, though being kissy-poo-poo, He'll call the devil and say, how you doing? I mean, he's just like that. And so he, he gets in Columbia, South Carolina, and he calls my brother who lives there. And he said, well, you know, our father is here, and uh, he's in a nursing home. Now, I did good to keep up where he was, and I tried to do that after my mother died. Even though it was a difficult thing, I felt God would have me wear the big girl panties and do it. You know what I mean? Some of us need to put on big girl panties sometimes. You know, we call them drawers where I come from. You know what I mean? <laughs> I am at a state in my life, I wear big girl panties. If I have on bikinis, it means I bought the wrong size, okay? That's all that means, you know, or that I've kept them even though I've outgrown them, and that's what they look like. But uh, sometimes when you're walking with God, you have to put on big girl panties in the area of faith and ministry to people just because God says you're the big girl in the relationship. And I did that. So my husband's in Columbia, South Carolina, and he... uh, uh, called me and he said, well, your father's here. I think I'll go by and see him. I said, okay. So he goes by and he sees my father. Now we've been married at this point 14 years. And he goes by and he sees my father and he's doing well. He's in kind of an assisted living type thing. And he said, Mr. Wells, have you ever met the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior? And he said, he called him Galem, even though it was an end. He'd always say, no, Galem, I haven't. And he said, Would you like to accept him tonight? And he said, well, yes, I would. And my husband prayed my father through to Jesus Christ that night. Now, now hang there a minute. He calls me with great excitement. Barbara, I led your daddy to the Lord. And I said, oh, you did not. (laughs) There is no way. He said, I'm telling you, Barbara, he got led to the Lord tonight. And I hung up in almost disbelief, don't we? Lord, do this. Lord, you didn't do that, did you? You know how, how we are. I don't have the perfect faith. Now, I want, I want to tell you what happened. The next morning, I'm getting up going to work, the very next morning, and my sister calls me, and they, they never call, so I know something's wrong. And she said, are you home by yourself? And I said, well, yes, I am. Galen's out of town. And she said, I need to tell you that our father suddenly died during the night. Now, I want to show you the hand of God. That my husband would be in that city to lead that man to the Lord. And God would take him into eternity that night when he was not anticipating dying. Now, I had lost any hope that my father would ever find the Lord. Now, I've been asked some stupid questions. There are some stupid people in the body, too. Did you know that there are some stupid people in churches? How many of you understand that? 
Are, are you one? Oh, no, we won't go there. <laughs> People would say things to me like, well, are you sorry you got saved? Are you sorry that when you get up there, you have to look at him again? He's not the same daddy. I think he's looking down and say, oh, girl, what I did to you, but I'm so thankful that you're preaching his gospel today, that you, you got your emotions intact, that you can kiss your boyfriend, that you can hug people at the church now, that you can be joyous in life. And God stepped into my father's life just like that when I said, there is no way this heathen, hateful man. Listen, his hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And there are some of you here, you're ready to bury any hope that this person can ever come to the Lord. I defy that in the name of Jesus Christ to tell you he can step in at a moment's notice, even without your perfect faith, and save that person. Now, I've always said he took him home that night because he said, angels, get him, he'll never last. And I want the girl to come up and be able to hug a daddy that she never hugged on the face of the earth. And I'm here to declare to you, I'd already buried any hope that that man would ever be saved. But God came down in his faith and said, I'm going to surprise you, girl, because I'm going to walk right into that situation. And I'm telling you, as we end a little bit later today, some of you, I want you to bring up that hope today, that that most hateful person that you thought could never be saved, that person you thought was beyond God's grasp, I'm here to tell you, his hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. He can send the right person at the right thing, time, the right circumstances, the right everything, because he's God. Don't you bury hope. Don't you bury that thing just yet today. Now, boy, we could have, oh, I could go on eternally tonight because of what God has just done as I've watched him when I didn't have hope in some areas. Now, when you look at me at 55 years old, I'm just glad to be here because at 44 years old, they said I wouldn't, had a good chance I wouldn't be here. I was 44 years old, and I went in for a checkup. I hadn't been for one for a while, and I just decided to go because it was the thing to do. Hadn't been in three or four years. A nurse practitioner begins to check me, and, and she uh, is doing an examination, and she said, I, I think we need to ask the doctor to come in. Now, that's a long way to lift your faith. I'll just lift it immediately. He comes in, and he checks, and he said, Mrs. Benton, we have a problem. And I said, what is wrong? He said, you have an ovary that is about this big on one side, and we just need to check it out because, you know, it's real strange that it would be so big. Now, for those of you who don't know, your ovary is not close to that big, all right? It's a little thing like that. And so I didn't think anything of it. I said, that's fine. So he said, uh, you need to go home, drink this stuff, come back in three hours. We're going to go do it. So we went through this whole afternoon thing. Well, we go, and I am just convinced it's just not a big deal. So we go in, and I can hear them as they're doing this ultrasound talking, and here's what they say. This is a problem. This thing is dividing. It's not like a fibroid tumor. It has divisions. You can see that it's growing. This thing looks malignant. It's an ovarian tumor. And I could hear them talking, and so uh, then they said, we have to do farther tests, and they have a blood test they do call a CAT or something like that. And uh, so they did that. And just like that, our world went spinning like this, just like that. Now I'm serving God. 
I'm in ministry. I'm a pastor's wife. I'm perfect. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're with me. All right. I know you can start getting sleepy about now. And so uh, the doctor did some further testing. And by the time, without belaboring that, by the time they finish, we think you are in the 90th percentile or greater that you have ovarian cancer. We are pretty sure of that. Now, the problem is they didn't tell me that for two days. And so uh, after the doctor tells me, he said, we lived in Hickory, North Carolina at the time. He said, I want you to go to Winston-Salem to the big hospital to have the surgery done because you need to have an oncology guy in there immediately. They know how to treat this. Uh, we don't really want to do the surgery here. They need to come in, scrape all your organs, do you blah, 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 blah. That's what we need to do. And um, I was stunned, and we went home and prayed about it and talked about it, and I felt like God said, have the surgery right where you are. So I said, doctor, we're not going to inconvenience our family and have it done at a different place. We're going to have it right here. And it was two weeks from Christmas. And I said, we're going to have it right here. So uh, we went in for the surgery. Lots of people were there. He told us it would be a four-hour surgery, you know, just the whole thing, and that they were going to have to do all this oncology stuff. And, blah, and he would hook me up with an oncologist and all this stuff. Now, let me tell you one thing it taught me. Don't tell me God does not teach you anything in places like that. One thing it taught me is what was important. Nasty people in the church weren't important. I'd been married to a pastor. Uh, what is important is that you might be walking over into the face of the one who died for you, and it'll make you straighten your act up in a hurry. Like he didn't see everything he did per prior to that, you know. I got more saved than I'd ever been. You know what I mean? I got saved, buddy. And so we go in for the surgery. There are many people from our church there. My friend Amy was there, and it was just a trying moment. Now, here's what I didn't have that people talk about. I never had peace. I didn't have this voice that came down and said, You shall live and not die. I'm saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Now, none of my children are married. I want to see Madison. And so... I go into the hospital for that surgery, and they say it'll be a four-hour surgery. They came out in an hour and a half and told my husband, it is benign. It is benign. Now, I want, I, want you to listen, listen, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. I understand there was a lot of weeping, and I think my children were weeping because, oh, Lord, we still got to listen to her. And, but everybody else was just glad I was going to be around. And, and so they began to weep. And the doctor said this to my husband. He said, Mr. Benton, I wanted to take a picture of your wife's anatomy. He said, I have never operated on anyone that every organ was perfectly aligned. Nothing was out of place. I have never seen anything like it. I wanted to take a picture of it. My husband said, I didn't know whether to thank him or slug him. <laughs> and the doctor came into my room and he said the same thing to me. And I looked at him, and this is what I said to him. Well, doctor, when you told us it was ovarian cancer, and we knew there was a tumor that size, and they had already had infected lymph nodes around it, and you had already told us several of the lymph nodes were infected, and that this, you know, was not a good prognosis, everybody began to pray and rally together. There is power in learning to come together to fight things. If I could get this message to the church... Like Marianne said, the devils of hell will come together to destroy God's people. If the people of God would come together to destroy the works of the enemy, what would happen? 
They began to pray and fast, I told the doctor. We had prayed and fasted for two weeks off and on. Around the clock, people were praying and fasting and for the guiding of your hand. So doctor, I think a lot of things were probably crooked in there. But when God began to do a work, a healing, regeneration, he just put everything in place so that you and I could have this conversation today. Because I appreciate you taking it out. I could kiss you every 28 days. And some of you know what I mean. But... But I'm here to tell you, God put every organ in place so I could tell you, doctor, that God has healed my body. Now, listen, he said, see ya. But I am so thankful for that because God looked down in time and what looked hopeless and what looked like it was going to be something beyond comprehension, God steps into it and says, angels, would you take that cancerous tumor and make it non-cancer? Why the way, go ahead and shift that liver a little and put that kidney over there. And oh, there's a little bit out of place there. Why don't you just fix everything just right while we got her open down there? Angels, let's just take care of it all. And I'm here to tell you that God said that the last weekend in October in 2006, there were some New York women who needed help. And so we're going to save her so we can put her up there and tell her that, tell them there is hope where you are walking. There is absolute hope where you are walking. Now, some of you've lost hope in the air of healing today. I'm not a healer. I'm not here to tell you that if I lay hands on you and you've got enough faith, everybody's going to walk out perfectly whole. But I think some people will. I think God wants our hope to arise, that he wants to do miracles as part of the harvest. And God wants to do some things in some people's lives. And when we pray today, I want hope to come up that says he can step right into that thing just like that and change and dispel all of that darkness. I could tell you stories. I could tell you stories. Now, some of you are in churches that you're thinking they're on their last leg. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've been there and done that more times than you can shake a stick at in 33 years of pastoral ministry. As a matter of fact, my husband's number one ministry as a pastor is we always went to churches that had either split or the pastor had to leave out of immorality and everybody was mad about it. I said, have you ever thought about taking a healthy church? Have you ever thought about this? But I know the call of God on his life is a compassionate, loving man. I've seen every one of those churches turn around, every single one of them, and grow and be healthy because that's what his ministry is. I know that. But the church I'm in right now, when we moved to Alabama, I'd always been a pastor's wife, and now I'm sitting on the pew like you, and it looks different when you're on the pew. Because I'm asking the questions you used to ask us. Do they have to sing that song again? Listen, I'm trying to be so real with you. Do you think some of these things, well, if they would do it this way, I mean, I think these things. And and then the Lord said, I didn't send you there to think. I sent you there to be a part of that body. That's just me because I I think a lot. Well, I went to the pastor's class because that's what good little people do. He had no idea who we were, but we went through his class just like anybody else does so we could join the church and be a part of their fellowship. And the pastor told the history of the church. The pastor had been a very successful evangelist, had made a good living doing it, and he felt God told him to move from Arkansas to there. Now, I would move from Arkansas to there, whether, you know, God asked me to or not. And um, so, so he moves there to plant this church. And after the church is kind of up and running a little bit, 
They have a piece of land, but they have no money to build a building. And the pastor says, I don't know where I'm going to get this money to build this building. And he doesn't know what he's going to do. And so um, somebody from Verizon called him and said, Pastor, could you have lunch with me? And he thought, well, maybe this is somebody God's going to send to be a part of our church. So they went, and he went to lunch, and he said, Pastor, your church property is situated just right that we would like to put a tower up, and we will disguise it in the form of a pine tree. You'll never know it's there. And if you will let us do that, we will give you $250,000. He said, let me pray about it. Okay. (laughs) Now listen, he built the first building. Until he told me that, I never even noticed the pine tree until he told me that because there's some elevation on the land, and so he knew that. Well, he wanted to build another building on there. And he said, Lord, we don't have the money. We don't have enough money coming in. We, we don't want to go borrow the money and try to do this. And he said, you know, out of the blue, Sprint calls him. This is true. Sprint calls him and says, Pastor, could you have lunch with me? And he said, well, yes, I can. And he goes and they said, we need to put a tower here. If you will let us do it and you will put a small cross on the top of your church, we can hide it in the cross. That'll preach. We can hide it in the cross. And nobody will know it's there. And we'll give you $250,000. So building number two went up. He needs building number three. How many telephone companies can there possibly be in this world? But I'm here to tell you that God sent a wealthy man for just a short period in that church who gave them the money for almost the entire building. And the rest of it came in from donations. And we now have three buildings paid for on that property. Now, listen, to, he, I want you to know, does God do it that way for everybody? No, but I think he wants us to believe that when we think, how can we financially do this? And he says, calling Verizon, calling Verizon, calling Verizon. He can call Verizon out for you, baby girl. He can call Sprint out for you. He can call Donald Trump out for you. I met a woman who was about to lose her farm, and he saw the story on TV, a charismatic, spirit-filled, tongue-talking believer who gave the testimony. He saw her on TV, felt sorry for her, and gave the money to pay her farm off so she wouldn't lose it. Listen, if E.F. Hutton speaks, God listens. And we need to understand that God can take the wealth of the unrighteous to meet the needs of the kingdom of God. He's God. He wants some hope to arise in this room. Don't bury that thing just yet at that church. Now, we were at a church that were were so bad, I thought we should name it Demon Assembly of God. You ever been there? It was horrible. And my answer was to slap them. You know that. (laughs) I think some things are better than prayer personally, but that's just me. I wanted to leave so many times. And my husband would get down and he'd say, Barbara, I think God's going to do something here. I said, really? Now, I don't have time to go into all the detail. My spirit got crushed there so many times. I had so many things said to me, said about me. I was raked up one side. Do you know what that means? Okay, well, I never know what you know up here, okay? 
I'm talking about people use different terms. I was raked up one side, down the other. I was a basket case at that church. For the first time ever, I'm going to get, can I get real? I'm a pastor's wife. I'm an anointed woman of God. But sometimes we don't have sense. And um, I just went to my husband finally after a real crushing blow from some people. I had just had all I thought I could take. And these were my words to him. You can remain a pastor if you want to, but I will not do it with you. I'm trying to help you. Now, I could, I could act like I have never been there. This was 20 years ago. I would never say that now, but that's where I was. Crushed in spirit, lost all my hope. Did not want to love the people of God. Did not want to do any of that. And I told my husband, I will not do this with you. This is going to be a parting of the ways if this is what you're going to do. And my husband said, well, baby, you're more important to me than this church. And then he went and he began to pray before God. He said, God, you have to touch my wife. If you don't touch my wife, I don't think I'll ever be able to touch my wife. (laughs) I don't have the time for the details of the situation. But that church had split so bad, we didn't even have the money to pay salaries. My husband didn't tell me we were living on a credit card. It was just horrible, horrible, ugly situation. Because some people in the body of Christ are so ugly, I could slap them and God would say, amen. And what happened, to make a, a, a long story short, in just a matter of about a year, God penetrated me one day. I got so mad I wouldn't even teach anymore. I'm trying to help you. I'm telling you some stupid things I've done because I said, God can't do anything here. I'm mad. I'm angry. I blah, 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 blah. And I refused to minister and I pulled in. I wouldn't even show up on Wednesday night and he thought I was coming. He'd come home and I'd painted the dining room. I painted our whole house. (laughs) But if there's one thing my boyfriend has learned, it's this. There's sometimes only God can touch her. He began to pray, and he began to ask God to move. And one day I was sitting in my car, and the Holy Spirit just... See, he'll walk in whether you invite him or not, because that's how much he cares about where you are. And I just felt him say, Barbara, I just love you. I know you were hurt, but I love you. And I realized how much I had missed his presence. And I began to weep in that car, just weep in that car. I've never quit ministry since then. I don't plan to quit ministry because he's better than people who are ornery. He's worth serving. I made a mistake in that area, but I will tell you a year later, that church went to two services. We bought 47 acres out on the interstate to build a new building. God brought in the finances. My husband had prayed. He's a great man of faith in the area of finances. The offering zoomed up from 2,000 a week over a little over a year, a year and a half maybe, to $15,000 a week because God said, I'm just going to step right in the middle of that thing and tell you don't bury that just yet where your church is concerned because it doesn't say Ichabod until he says it says Ichabod and those of you say who in the heck is Ichabod you know read the Bible Ichabod means the spirit of the Lord hath departed well I think it's departed at my church well not if you're there 
I think it's just departed. Don't tell me about yourself. That's a testimony. Because if you're there and he's in you and you're living in the spirit, the spirit is there. Get on your knees and say, step into this hopelessness, God. Step into a move of the Holy Spirit. I could tell you stories today. I've been to so many processions of funerals that it, oh, got to hurry up. So many processions of funerals. Let me just tell you one last funeral because I want to hit a several, uh, a few, and if I have to stay over a little bit and pray, that's okay. I'll do that. A year or so ago, I was saying to my husband, our, our offerings had gone down so low in our ministry. I said, I'm going to get a job. He said, you can't get a job and do what you do. And I did the spiritual thing you do. <laughs> I said, dear, we, we need more money coming in. And I, can, I made more money out there than I do here. He said, well, we need to pray and ask God. I said, get a life, man. See, we all have lapsing moments, do we? That's what I tell you, I have moments. And I, I would scan the ads for a job. He said, Barbara, that's not what God wants. Even my little friend would say, I don't think that's what God wants because he's getting ready to, to just fill your schedule up. And I said, get a life. Did, did I, do I said, what is your problem? <laughs> I came so close to getting a job. And then I got caught. Now, I've been to WOW for years and years and years and years and years. But I was never one of their speakers until last year, never. But I'd always gone. And uh, so some chick named Betsy Roy sent me an email or something, and she said they thought I still lived in Florida. This is how cute God is. I'd moved to Alabama. We're doing a Florida wow. We've heard about you. and like for you to do a seminar. Now, I know I should have been holy and written back and said I don't live in Florida anymore, but I'm not a fool. So I just said, I'll do it. And so they said, we just want you to do a, a little seminar. I said, okay, I'll do a little seminar. So, so they invited me to do this. Now, they don't know me from Adam. From Adam. I finally fessed up and told them I lived in Alabama, four hours from where the place was going to be, but I still wanted to be a part of it. And they said, okay. Betsy has never met me, never talked to me. Jim Jackson doesn't know me from you. And she writes me out of the blue and says, would you speak at the Catch the Vision rally? I said, yeah, and I hung up and I about threw up. I said, I can't do this. These are big name people that they're used to having here. I'm just Barbara Benton. Because, you know, we think we got to be somebody else. So anyway, to make long story short, I went to that luncheon, and Amy Rath was at that luncheon, and she will tell you this is true. She went to the bathroom with me because I was so sick, I thought I would throw up. I'm an introvert. See, some of you think we do this and we just walk in. Well, I've just got to, listen, I throw up and pray, throw up and pray, throw up and pray. It's just a fact. That, I, that is, I constantly have to just get with God and say, Lord, if you don't breathe on me, I don't think I can do it. I really don't. I'm afraid to stand before groups of people in the natural. All right? You didn't look like a group of people to me, so I thought, oh, I can do this one. So <laughs> I just want to make sure you were with me. All right. I go and I stand up, and the minute I stand up, the Holy Spirit, I could feel him began to speak through me, and we had church. I just forgot who was sitting there because I said, I don't want to be so enamored with them that I'm not enamored with you. 
And I began to lay that gospel out, and the rest is history. Not only doing wows, but that has exploded my schedule until I am running with my tongue hanging out because God is opening door after door after door, and I'd already buried that hope, buried that hope, had that call, said it's never going to happen. In one moment, God can take you from the pit to the palace, baby girl. In one moment, he can do that. And I stand, if anybody stands amazed I'm here today, it's me. I stand amazed that people who have a funny accent like you would bring me up here <laughs> to preach this gospel. That I would go to California next week and preach this gospel. That I would go, I prayed and said, I want to go to all 50 states. And God, this year has opened five brand new ones to me. And I'm telling you, I still say, What's a nice girl like me going to say to them? And the Holy Spirit just breathes on me and says, you just go and say this, girlfriend, and you leave the rest up to me. Don't you bury hope about that ministry God has called you to. It's never going to open. It's never going to happen. Walk through it saying, God, I need you to mature me. I need you to get me ready for the moment. I want to be ready to go. But I'm here to tell you, don't you bury that hope just yet. Now, here's what I want to do. I want us to pray this morning, this afternoon, whatever time and whatever state I'm in, I want us to do that. <laughs> you might still be saying I'm not convinced, so I want to close with this that will take me about 90 seconds to do. If God can take a bowl of mud and make a man, I just think he might be able to do something in your life. If God can take a rainbow and hang it in a sky for a sign for everybody to see, possibility he could do something in your life. If he can take an emancipator out of a river Nile and cause him to have a great exodus of people, he just might be able to do something in your life. Because if he can take a shepherd's staff and turn it into a snake, he might be able to do something in your life. And if he can make a freeway through the Red Sea, he just might be able to make a path for you where you need a path made. If he can take manna out of a dew in the desert, he might be able to supply your daily needs. He just might be able to. If he made an army out of dry bones, he might be able to breathe on your church. If he made a preacher out of a donkey, and I'm so glad he did, he just might be able to open a door of ministry for you. If he made an elevator out of a whirlwind, he might be able to lift you into higher places. If he made a taxi out of a whale, he just might be able to do something in your life. If he made a waiter out of a raven, oh baby girl, I just think he might be able to do something in your life. If he made a banquet out of a boy's lunch, he might be able to multiply things in your life. If he made wine out of water, might be able to do a miracle in your life. If he made a taxpayer out of a fish, he just might be able to meet your financial need. If he can make, if he can make the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the dumb to talk, he might be able to do something in your life. And if he can make a fool out of the devil and a church out of us, he might be able to do something in our lives. Well, hallelujah, Lord. Glory to God. Well, bless you, Lord. Oh, let God arise. Well, hallelujah, Lord. Bless your name. Well, glory. I bless you, Lord. 
your glorious and wonderful, miraculous Lord. Well, glory! Woo! Hallelujah! Glory, glory, glory! Bless you, Lord! Bless you, Lord! Well, glory to Him! Hallelujah, Lord! Well, glory. God, I can't praise you enough. I can't lift you high enough. I can't say enough good things about you today, Lord. God, I can tell story after story and so could other women in this room. But what I'm asking you today, Father, is that there'll be a meeting at the gate for some people today. That they buried hope. That they think they'll never get over their past. That they think they'll never make it through this financial place. That the drought in their spiritual life will never end. That their church can never be breathed upon by you. That ministry door is never going to open. That child is never going to come back to you. And God, in the name of Jesus, I with faith say that don't bury that thing so fast because there's going to be a meeting at the gate today. Now, Father, I ask you that faith would arise in this room. Faith would arise in this room. All right, now here's where we are. I will minister Till people have to hold me up because I believe God wants me to walk among you and touch you. I am very touchable. I don't have all these gifts and can promise you everything's going to happen, but I'm open to every gift he wants to use today. So here's what I want to do. Some of you may need to leave, and I understand that, and you catch me over the weekend. Somebody said, I don't think I could get within two feet. I said, do I smell that bad? No, you walk right up to me. I'm just as touchable as you are. I'm just a real girl in blue jeans today, so I just want you to know I am quite touchable. You find me before I leave, and I will be glad to give you a minute of my time. But if you're in this room today and you say, I need prayer, here's the way. Obviously, we have a lot of women, so here's what we're going to do. My friend Amy's going to help me out a little bit, and, uh, uh, and I want to do it like this. I want us to just have a line. I want you to, and we're not going, we can't do a 30-minute prayer over everybody. You understand that, right? Okay, because some people in the body don't have sense, all right? But what, 30, 30, so here's what I want to do. We're going to come down that line, and I knew God, I, I felt there would be too many people for us to spend 30 minutes, but here's what I want to do. I ask God for faith to just flow today. I want you to come down this line, and I'm going to let you look me in the eye and just say, family, finances, marriage, church, disappointment in ministry, whatever, just tell me that. And I'm going to touch you, and we're going to put our faith together, and I'm going to ask God to let hope arise. And then here's what I believe God will do. God will begin that, and I believe the word that June gives tonight will further that process, and tomorrow morning, because it doesn't hinge on this session today. Because if you will write down in each session what God is saying, you'll have your love letter from him by the time you go home, that this is what he said. So I want you to quickly help me, Amy, and I just want you to start lining up. We're going to just do a brief prayer. And then I want you to grab your stuff and get out of here, okay? I'll stay here as long as I